Hi, I'm Jeff Brazier, and this is the NL Full Time Podcast. Hello, and welcome to NL Full Time. We're recording this on the shortest day of the year, but it certainly won't be a short podcast. We've got lots to fit in, and to go through it with myself, Luke Edwards, today, we have Rob Worrell. Hello, Rob. Morning, Luke, guys. And we've also got Tom Lang. He's, he's had a bit of a sabbatical. We've, we've had him on the bench for the last few weeks, but we've brought him on today. Hello, Tom. Hi, just delighted to get my chance back in the first team. Yeah, make sure you grab it with both hands, Tom. <laughs> And whatever other cliche they use. <laughs> and, uh, bring, on holding, bring on our holding midfielder now that's there every week, just grinding it out week in, week out. Bring him on. Yeah, solid 7 out of 10 every week. It is Dickie Wharton. Hello, Dickie. Oh, he's there. Guys, you right? Yeah. Are you happy with 7 out of 10? <laughs> yeah, no, I'll take that. No, that's probably an improvement on where most people have put me, to be honest. <laughs> Dickie Craig Eastman's water. <laughs> <laughs> he's one of those who gets booked after 10 minutes and he's always on the tightrope but he's dead solid <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> in the National League then it was another strange set of circumstances Barrow should have been on the telly against Solihull Moors however that game was called off so it gave an opportunity for Yeovil to close the gap and they couldn't really do that although they had to come from 2-0 down at Fylde so they'll probably see it as a point gained in the end Very much so Luke and uh, you know you have to give um, credit for that uh, staying in the game and coming back and getting a point the old saying if you can't win a game make sure you don't lose it it did look very much like Fylde were headed for a win and uh, uh, obviously with um, a couple of the teams up the top they're not playing Barrow and Solihull it was a big opportunity for for a lot of those other teams up the top there. And if there was a reoccurring theme yesterday, um, it was probably that, uh, with one or two exceptions, they didn't take it. And, uh, you know, the, the table a little bit turned on its head yesterday. Uh, so many of the teams in the bottom six or seven found a way to win or get a point. So we'll come to that, I'm sure, in a bit. But uh, did come back to Yeovil. And uh, I'm glad we got somebody from the southwest on who can now want unequivocally tell us how you say Courtney I would say doofus but I mean uh, you know Yeovil aren't really southwest as far as I'm concerned if you're past Exeter <laughs> you're not south <laughs> is, that the, is, that, is that the border Tom you've got to go past if Romans, if Romans never conquered you then you can say you're southwest <laughs> <laughs> brilliant so technically Yeovil's in the northwest to you then is it yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like north of anything like north of Watford's uh, the north. Yeah, so I think it's I think it is Doofus. So we, he scored. He's on a good hot. Um, he's on a hot streak at the minute. He's old Courtney Doofus, isn't he? And as you said, he's uh, he, he's done really well over the last few weeks. He's not troubling the leading scorers at the minute, but he's certainly keeping he's his side eight, up there. Eight league goals for the season, Luke. All right, um, so he's just out of the top sort of ten then. Uh, you know, he had, he had a little bit of a purple patch at the beginning of the season, and he, as you say, he's just hitting form again now. Something I'm talking about when we get to Torquay United with Jamie Reid. It's important that someone's there to pick up the slack when Reese Murphy isn't quite on his game, um, and Doofus is, uh, is is a good foil for the former Chelmsford man. Absolutely, and Bromley they had another. They were also another team who could have closed the gap on Barrow, and another team who failed to take advantage. They lost at home three two to Eastley, and a bit of a surprise is all. Don't be fooled by the scoreline 3-2. It wasn't that kind of a thriller. Bromley actually only got their second goal in the uh, 90th minute. But uh, Eastleigh, despite going from behind, came from behind uh, to win that one with Tyrone Barnett and Boyce on target. And also, sadly, uh, particularly because, you know, 
I'm good friends with the family, but Dave Winfield made his home debut for Bromley yesterday and he was determined to score on it and uh, unfortunately he did, but in the wrong net. Yeah, and I was going to say a Winfield got on the score sheet, but not in the way that he would have wanted. But Eastleigh are just, I think they're doing really well this year, considering the upheaval they had in the summer. The, the mid-table, I think Ben Strevens is quite happy where they are, just four points off the playoffs. I think if they've offered him that at Christmas, he'd have taken it. I think so, particularly given the upheaval and the changes. But uh, one interesting perception about Eastleigh is of their budget. Now, I think it's well known that it was one of the higher ones in the division and that it is reduced since their chairman went to uh, Sunderland. But uh, I'm sure he won't mind me saying it, but uh, something that came out of my post-match interview with all shop manager Danny Sell yesterday, um, he said that whilst it has been affected... Um, Eastleigh were able to get two or three players that he wanted this summer, so they must be doing okay with their budget. So one thing I, I mentioned on that one as well, so obviously Dave Winfield got an own goal debut for Bromley, but um, Andre Coker got one in the right end on his debut for Bromley, having been signed from Cray Wanderers yesterday. It's just it's an interesting thing about non-league football at times, that Maidstone United deemed Coker surplus requirements in the summer, um, playing in step two. They released him. He went to Cray Wanderers at step three. He's now been signed by a team fighting at the top of step one and scored on his debut. Um, it, it's just, I always find it strange how some teams can see the value in a player. You know, Coker is objectively a very good footballer. He scored 5 and 15 for Cray, got a debut goal for Bromley. And when you look at Maidstone, who are eighth in National League South, when they should be doing a lot better, it just makes you wonder how do these teams value these value their players in such a way? Um I'm just interested in what other people think on that. It's daylight robbery who's allowed to go to Cray, wasn't it? Yeah, it's, it's a weird move. Dickie's got that, haven't you, Dickie? I have, yes, I have. <laughs> Ronnie and Reggie, I know yeah. where you... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I no, it is... He not... feeding you. I think he got an earpiece in and Dickie was feeding <laughs> that because we know all the best puns come from... It's like, more, like more coming wise, I just, you know, set him up. <laughs> no, but you are right, you are right, though, Tom, in terms of you know, it's it's weird how some teams don't rate a certain player and then they go and sign for another team in that division and, and rip it up, if you like. Not that he's, obviously he's not ripping it up yet because he's only scored one because it's on his debut, but potentially he could, he could do really well for Bramley. Maidstone will be left scratching their heads a little bit. Mm. It could be. That's, that's happened on a few occasions. I think the, the, the other sort of rather amusing thing about some players signing for other clubs is that you see it so often that when a player has an outstanding game against a particular club, how often when he moves does he end up going to that club that he had a brilliant game against? I think, you know, there's nothing like seeing a player in the in the flesh as opposed to seeing videos and stuff like that. But I think quite often uh, the managers of those opposing clubs end up thinking that that player that played brilliant against them, you know, is, is slightly better than possibly he really is. You know, all players are capable of having their day when they get the uh, 9 out of 10, aren't they? Playoff-wise, Woking and Solihull, as we said, didn't play. Woking was supposed to play Ebsfleet. That was call-off as well because of torrential downpours down there in the Sussex and Kent region. But two teams that did face off in the playoff places were Bournemouth and Harrogate. Now, we were saying about were Bournemouth that bothered last week against Royston. Well, when I got home, I checked out Luke Garrett's interview and it's fair to say he was really upset and, and annoyed and uh, he said he wanted a response against Harrogate and he got that, a, a great result for Bournemouth and they've shot into the playoffs, haven't they, in the last few weeks? They've been on a really, really good run, uh, unbeaten in the last six, four wins out of those six and, and they've got something that any football club would envy, that's two strikers in double figures 
before the end of the year. Uh, and they both scored yesterday. Tyrone Marsh got them underway late on, very, very late on. I think it was the latest crucial goal in the National League Premier Division yesterday. Our man, Kabongo Shimanga, uh, comes up uh, with the winning goal. And uh, that was his 13th of the season. So it tucks him uh, level with Scott Quigley and just two behind uh, Rhys Murphy of Yeovil and Jamie Reid of Torquay who uh, I don't think either of them scored it. I'm really, really glad you've drawn that out, Rob, because I think, and I know I talk about goal scorers a lot on this on this podcast, but there's a reason for that. It's because goals win games. Got the and, and that was in the world. <laughs> One of the big problems for Bournemouth last season when they had that big drop-off from their, their playoff final run was that they never replaced the goals of uh, Bruno Andrade and Morgan Ferrier when they went up to the Football League. Um, last season, they tried Justin Shabu, Josh Amura, Gozi Ogui, Bradley Ash, Idris Kanu, Ralston Gabriel all up front, and none of them made it into double figures. Uh, this season, they've got Tyrone Marsh, they've got Kabanga Shimanga, and as you say, they're both in double figures by Christmas, and you can just see the difference in the league position, up into the playoff positions, and they're firing. It's all about consistency, Tom, and, 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 and those two players have found it... Um... I've got a slightly distorted view because I only saw them in the nil-nil where neither of them were very impressive on the day. But 10 goals you know, before the end of the year is fantastic. And I'm sure that uh, both of those will be looking to see if they can double it in the second half of the season. It probably won't happen because it's very rare um, that, that, that one club has two players that score 20 goals or more. But they're certainly on track for it. Absolutely. A bit of a blow for Harrogate there. But two teams just outside of the players who'd be hoping to I've leapfrogged Harrogate with Halifax and Stockport County and neither of them again took advantage. It was a day of missed opportunities on Saturday. Halifax were 2-1 up against Notts County but Notts County came roaring back, got the winner through Mitch Rose, the brother of England's Danny Rose and what a great, great comeback that is for Notts County. Yeah, and not the first time they've done it this season, Luke. I'm really one of these weeks. I should pull up two this phone call with the stats in front of me. I'm absolutely certain Notts County have gained more points from uh, losing positions this season in the National League. And, uh, yeah, they were behind twice and still came through and won it out of canter in the end. Uh, they really are, um, you know, they really are flying again now, uh, which is important because they've had a little bit of a blip. I think they got in nicely nestled in the playoffs a month or two ago and then they just dropped off a little bit. But uh, they're doing all right. I mean, with Notts County in the Oval, we said it many times on the podcast this year, we're, not, you know, we're only just past the halfway point of the season, and they're both really, really well-placed. Um, it's really closing up in the middle of the National League. Team. We're talking about the, uh, those two clubs, Notts County and Halifax. I think at the moment, Halifax are going to be looking the other way down the table. Um, they've got one win in ten, which was against Sutton United before St- Sutton started to turn their form around. Um, you know, this, this fantastic start to the season that they had, is really in danger of petering out unless they can find some way to turn it around. You know, they're, they're without a win in their last six um, and, and, lose, and losing from a, a leading position at home um, doesn't bode well for their confidence uh, going into uh, the new year. Yeah, it's mirroring, it's mirroring last season a little bit. That, as you say, the, the second bottom in the current farm table, only Torquay have a worse record at the minute and worse bit of farm. So... Pete Wilde needs to do something there and I know they appealed a few weeks ago for a bit of extra investment just to help them stay where they are but it looks like they are needing some fresh faces coming in in January. And it's history repeating itself. It's really bizarre, guys. Under two different managers, two consecutive seasons, quite a lot of different players 
Halifax have done the same thing. They've bombed it at the start of the season. They've been sat top of the table and then dropped out of nowhere right the way down. And uh, they sensed it was starting to happen a while ago and they just buffered it a little bit. But now, it's, as you say, it's gone on. No wins in the last six games. And, uh, um, they dropped out of the playoffs for the first time. And uh, with it closing up in the middle behind them, they, they could even drop further, as you say. Yeah, Halifax fans, get in touch. Let us know what what we what you've seen, what you think the problem is. Tweet us at NL Full Time or email us nlfulltime at gmail.com. Now, the other team he didn't take advantage of, a team you saw on Saturday, Rob, Stockport County. Now, we were at the, the reverse fixture early in the season when you were, were cock-a-hoop holder shot, were running away with it in the first half by three goals to nil. You ran into a Stockport County team that were in real good form over the past few weeks but uh, well I'll let you take up the story Rob Yeah it was interesting I think when, when Aldershot went up to Edgley Park they really surprised Stockport by taking the game to them and uh, um, you know ironically I think that was the game plan that Stockport came with yesterday it was one of the most open games I've seen in years um, Stockport almost scored in the first minute they literally tore at Aldershot Aldershot tore back at them it was breathless it's one of the, the Enough, one of the most difficult games I've had to commentate on because it was it, it, the pace and the tempo didn't let up for the whole game. It could have been any scoreline at half time. Um, all the shot went in 1 0 up, um, thanks to a goal from a player who we need to keep our eyes on a little bit for, is Craig Tanner. Been out of football for 20 months, but prior to that, he played every single game of the season for Motherwell and he's got his Premier League, scoring nine goals in 36 games. So for a diminutive kind of attacking midfielder or attack, you know, sort of wide attacker rather than an out-and-out out. Um, He finished off beauty move to put the shots 1-0 up. I have to mention Walker at this stage. He made two or three um, outstanding saves in the first half yesterday, which kept his side in it and in the league. Um, as they often do, Aldershot gave up that lead in the second half uh, to uh, Devante Rodney, who just ghosted perfectly onto a, a knockdown from a free kick and stroked that home. But Aldershot found a way to get it done. It was a bit of a controversial goal. Uh, Kinsella uh, crossed the ball into the box and then there was a kind of a deflection off somebody. It landed at the feet of Mo Betemer, who looked in an offside position. He put it in. Uh, but after consultation between the linesman and the referee, they uh, they awarded the goal. I think the touch had come off a, a Stockport player. So um, for Aldershot, that's four wins in six at home now. And you remember it was kind of... Three wins were about a year apart at home before that, so it's really, really good recovery for them. And Stockport County, well, I don't know what to make of it, boys. They've been in fantastic form. Um, yeah, twice in two games against Aldershot, they've come unstuck. I think they've got the players. I think they've got a very experienced manager, and I think they'll play a part in the playoff picture. Um, after the game, I did catch up with the Aldershot skipper, Dean Rance, and uh, here's what he had to say. I'm joined by Aldershot Town skipper Dean Rance after the third win in four home games and the fourth in six. And you knew the home record before you come here, Dean, and it must be such a relief to be pleasing the majority of the Aldershot Town supporters here at the EBB. Uh, yep, yeah, we're uh, we're making this a little bit of a fortress now. Um, as you say, like we we haven't lost in a while here, and we want to keep that run going, and we want to make this uh, a hard place for teams to come. And uh, if we can rectify our away form, um, there's no reason why we can't climb the table. We just need a little bit more consistency, the same consistency we're showing at home. Um, and yeah, uh, we've got just got to keep it going and keep that consistency in the in the in the team. 
you've mentioned that the consistency there. I mean, the one thing Aldershot Town have done on a number of occasions now this season, after a, a really disappointing result and performance, is bounce back. And today you did so against the side that had scored nine goals in the last two games, yeah. that had lost just two in the last 11 matches, one of the form sides in the National League, and you stopped them. Um, and, and creative. What, what was the game like to play in, Dean? It was n- frantic from start to finish. Both teams going for it. Yep. Uh, as you can tell, they're, they're quite direct in the way they play. They go from front to back quite quickly. So you, first and foremost, you have to stand up to that. You have to stand up from, from the back four all the way to the, the forwards and you have to compete with them. And I think for 90 minutes we competed. Um, we come under some criticism from last week, uh, but we got to realise that that was a one-off game. It's a cup game, so when you're 3-1 down, you are going to chase the game like you wouldn't in a league game. So it does leave more gaps, but um, people want to question the character of this team. That's three or four times this season now that we've reacted and uh, we've shown a response, and that just shows we've got a character in abundance. So that should never come into question for an Aldershot team. And you can see how hard we're working today. Um, again, we've conceded a soft goal probably from a set play again so I think if we can just tweak those tiny little things from especially set plays um, there's no reason why we can't we, you've seen the last last month we've played teams all at the top and we were getting results and we, we're more than capable um, we just need to, to, to tidy up on them small details and, uh, and we'll be fine a lot of controversy surrounding the winning goal. Yeah. Um, initially ruled out by the assistant referee on the far side and immediately three or four shots players ran over to protest what, Dean? That the ball had come off a stop ball Yeah, player? so the ball's been crossed in and you can quite clearly see that their defender's headed the ball. So I'm not sure. I think the line, linesman thought that the, the ball had come off one of our players' heads so it would have made him offside, but it's actually come off of their defenders. So straight away we realised that he'd made a mistake. I think the ref knew straight away, but he just wanted to check with his... Uh, linesman and, and I think it was the correct call referees get a lot of sticks but thankfully he saw that otherwise yeah. uh, it would have been a point not three exactly um, yeah that's what they're for he's done his job and it's the it's the right outcome right five games in two weeks so four to, four or five days to uh, prepare for the next game that will be Eastley away they will be going into it on the back of a 3-1 win away at Bromley yeah. what, what are your thoughts yeah, on that they're, one they're getting stronger um, I know a few people down there and um They've had a few people come back into the team, so they'll be they'll be strong. And I, I imagine they'll be up and around it for the season. Um, but like I say, we've 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 seen everyone come to, to at home, uh, and we're more than able to compete with with every team in this league. Um, it's a it's a tough schedule over Christmas, but um, it all comes down to preparation. We're we're given all the tools from the management to prepare properly. Um, so there's no excuses from outside. It's the same for both teams. Um, but as you can tell, it's five games in a short period of time, and that, that can be the difference and that can be the turning point in the season. So you go on a little, get a little bit of momentum going into that Christmas period. You go into the new year in a completely different position in the league and things are a lot different and uh, everyone's looking at us in a, in a completely different light. That was Aldershot skipper Dean Rance and that's the reason Chris isn't on as well this morning. <coughs> he's, a bit, uh, he's a bit upset, but no, it's... Uh, <laughs> Stockport, they'll, they'll come again, I think, Rob, won't they? Definitely, um, and, and, and uh, what I, I think for me, what's changed at Stockport that was evident yesterday is they were probably in in those first two or three months of the season looking to be solid, make sure they didn't make too many mistakes, make sure they competed well at this level. And I think after looking at it for the first three months, Jim Gannon said, "You know what? The best way to do well in this league is take it to other teams." We've been too, uh, you know, too hesitant and perhaps a little bit negative. He's got the 
players doing, hasn't he? I mean, Devante Romney and Tom Walker, you know, surplus to requirements at Salford. But uh, the one surprise for me yesterday after the form he's been in, that he didn't start Niall Bell up top. Um, and uh, he came on. Uh, it was a little bit too late. Moving swiftly on, at the bottom, it was a, a productive day for a lot of the teams at the bottom, including Aldershot. But uh, Wrexham, I think we'll start with them because I saw a couple of disgruntled tweets yesterday on my timeline and um, they're saying that they're still no better off with Dean Keats. They're three points adrift at the minute and uh, they lost at Sutton, who've been in horrible form. But uh, a great win that for Sutton against Wrexham. So, I mean, Sutton have been in horrible form, but they've they turned it around sort of this month with their five, they're now five unbeaten following that win against Wrexham. Um, and, and I think the credit for that has to go to Matt Gray. He made a lot of signings in the summer, as a lot of new managers do, especially when you look at how many players went down to Havant. Um, but they didn't all work out. Um, at the sort of end of November, beginning of December, he released a few of those players. He cut his losses on some of the, some of the guys he'd brought in. Um, and it's working. Um, as at the start of play yesterday, Omar Bugil um, had one goal, um, and he finished the match with four goals for the season. So, um, if he can continue those ratios for the rest of the campaign, then he'll be doing quite well. But uh, a really, really good result for Sutton. They're now up to seventeenth, and considering how much they were struggling just a month ago. Um, that represents a really impressive December for Sutton United. The result, the other result of the day for me was was Chesterfield going winning three 0 at Torquay. Now I know you're not quite as surprised as that as me, Tom, but Chesterfield have been been really bad over the last few weeks. They have, but they've not been as bad as Torquay, who have been the worst side in the division with six losses in a row now. Chesterfield, I think they were what seven without a win before that, but they have at least picked up a couple of points in that time. Um, so. It, don't get me wrong, it's a very, very good result for Chesterfield. Um, but I just wanted to talk about Torquay, really, because Gary Johnson needs to get a grip of this and quickly. Um, Jamie Reid picked up an ankle injury, I think, against Halifax Town back in the middle of November. And since then, they've lost every single match. Um, and the loss of Jamie Reid cannot equal the loss of Torquay United season, to paraphrase Billy Bob Thornton in Friday Night Lights. Um, they've tried Saiku Jane. Um, bringing him in on loan from Bristol. Uh, that worked very well from last season, but he's not really stepped up so far this season. Um, and he indeed, he got a red card yesterday. Jamie Reid has 15 goals for them, and that's an incredible return for somebody who um, has missed almost uh, a month and a half of the season in total with injuries. But after him, their next top goal scorer is Jake Andrews with five. They've tried Manny Duku, Rory Keating, Saiku Jane and Jared Lewington up front this season. And between the four of them, they've managed one goal. Um, so Gary Johnson really needs to find a way to get the rest of his squad firing. Or Torquay, you know, like I said with ha- uh, Halifax, Torquay's promising start to the season is going to be for nothing. Yeah, at the minute, they have got a bit of a buffer. They are eight points above the relegation zone. And the teams down there, they are chipping away slowly but surely. But will it be enough at the end of the season to drag other teams into it? I mean, you look at Charlie, they missed a golden opportunity yesterday to to move a lot closer to that top of that relegation pack. They were 1-0 up to the last minute before uh, a last-minute Kevin Locko goal for Dover meant that Dover managed to snatch a point up at Charlie. And also, as I say, Wrexham, they lost at Sutton. Ebsleet didn't play because they had that game called off, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, Fylde drew after being 2-0 up. So nobody's really getting away from that relegation zone, are they? 
No, it's all closing up, Luke. And uh, what that means with with all those teams that have been in the bottom four, just outside, really, you know, at full tilt now. They know what the job is. They're at it week in, week out. It spells danger for a mid-table team that's dropping. And I think the two that stand out for me that could well get sucked in, and they're not that far away, are Dagenham and Redbridge and Maidenhead United. Um, both of them have uh, had, had, had quite reasonable starts to the season, but recent form suggests otherwise. And uh, they need to beware now because filed under Jim Bentley are going to pick up points. All the shot are proving that they will get a win every two or three games. Um, uh, Wrexham and Chesterfield surely at some stage have to come good. I didn't get a moment to chip in on, on Wrexham, but um, and I need to be careful what I say because all just got to go, go there in a few weeks' time. But they haven't, for me, really even had a manager bounce under Keats. They got that first win, didn't they? But, but that wasn't followed up. It wasn't substantiated. For Chorley yesterday, uh, to have been winning and to have got pegged back late on and also for Files, that would have been crushing blows and it would have felt like defeat when they come in and saw that three of the other sides down the bottom there yesterday had won. Yeah, one... Di- one win away from home for Wrexham all season. It, is, it isn't good enough, is it? Yeah, it's not, Luke. You're absolutely right. Um, Wrexham, we've talked about it a number of times. They don't score enough goals. We thought that might be resolved this season. It hasn't been. Um, but the defence has fallen through the floor, hasn't it? So, um, one win on the road, as you say, nine defeats. And they're not really doing that well at home either. Um, I think 13 home matches, they've picked up... Uh, 20 points maybe it's not it's not good enough and it needs to change um and and rob you're absolutely spot on as well with dagenham and redbridge they've picked up uh two wins in their last correction they've got eight losses in their last 10 games um and that is relegation form for a side who spent some decent money in the summer um they've got their consortium owners um they were looking at the top half of the table and the play and a playoff push this season make no mistake about it um and at the moment they're in a relegation fight. Tom, you had to pick up just something on Barnet because they're just hovering below the playoffs as well. They are, yeah. I mean, I think, Rob, I know you're going to talk about our predictions later, but I think I predicted Barnet to do quite well this season. At least I hope I did because I do like them. Um, last season, they fell down in one particular area. Um, in the whole league campaign, for a club of their size, they only scored 45 goals. It was the fourth lowest total in the division. Um, this season, with... What have we got? Have we played a half? Yeah, just over half. Just over half the campaign gone. They've scored 40. So they're only five behind their total. Last season, they were the fourth bottom scorers. This season, they're the fifth highest at the moment. Whilst Simeon Akinola will get, the cre- get a lot of the credit, he's, he's scored 12 already this season. I think we really need to talk about and acknowledge the growth in the game of uh, Jack Taylor in midfield as well. Um, He's well acknowledged as being one of the best players in, in the non-league system at the moment. Um, you know how really how they've managed to keep hold of him to this point, I don't know. But his improvement from last season to this has been nothing short of remarkable. Um, he's scored a lot of goals himself. Uh, let's see how many how many's he got. He's scored seven himself, but his creativity in the middle of the park has unlocked a lot of what was stagnant for Barnet last season. Um, and I think he is going to be utterly crucial to them if they want to build on this promise um, and, and really push for a playoff position. Spot on, Tom. He's a class act, Jack Taylor. I've only seen glimpses of him, but I saw enough to see there's a player who's going to go on and play at a much, much higher level and Barnett needs to make the most of it while they've got him. 
and he's just unlocked the defences a little bit more than they were doing last year. I think the only surprise probably from the outside looking in is that it's Akinola and not Coulthurst that's, uh, you know, smashing the goals in this season. But one or two others weighing in as well. Sadly, I, I don't know if there was a highlights programme last night with the live game being off. I suspect that went as well, which is a shame because I see Shea Alexander scored and normally when he scores, it's a good goal. I presume the, uh, the Vultures will be circling in January, especially from Football League clubs. So he could be another player to progress up the league. So we'll, we'll watch this space. The one thing I was just going to say on Jack Taylor as well, um, when to finish off your point about a higher level, what money on him being the next non-league player to make it to the international scene? Um, he's got technique, he's got youth on his side, he's a classy player, but most importantly... He's Irish, and they are terrible. <laughs> there we go. Brilliant point. So, uh, yeah, don't aim that at us. Aim it at Tom. Uh, <laughs> but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see if uh, if he does get his league move, if he does get in the Ireland squad once he gets into the, the Football League. Okay, so let's look now at the National League North. Hi, I'm Adam Summerton. You're listening to the NL Full-Time Podcast. And in the National League North, well, Ian Culverhouse will be sitting down to eat his turkey on Christmas Day and he'll be delighted because he didn't even play yesterday, yet they're still top, aren't they, Dickie? Yeah, they are indeed. Uh, top, they'll be top of the table while he sat around the dinner table on Christmas Day. <laughs> and they, they managed to do it without even having to play as well. Um, their game away to Gloucester City got called off, which, of course, is going to mean a, a midweek rearrangement, which isn't the easiest for them. But, yeah, they, they stayed uh, clear at the top. Owing to York City being unable to take advantage, uh, York were at home to Darlington and a really surprising 1-0 defeat for them. Um, a goal from Adam Campbell in the ninth minute. Sounded like it was a really good effort from long range as well. And despite knocking on the door all second half, York just couldn't make the breakthrough and that's just their second defeat of the season but it leaves them three adrift and Kings Lynn also have that game in hand now so um, yeah it's a nice little cushion for them at Christmas Really disappointing from a, from a York point of view but Southport they keep on rolling they're keeping the pressure up on York they're four points behind they had a 4-1 win at Blythe Spartans who are second bottom but really convincing there from the Sandgrounders yeah, absolutely. Um, and they, they didn't get there until a little bit late as well. Kickoff went back by 15 minutes. Um, so you'd have thought perhaps a lack of preparation might have been an issue for Southport, but it didn't seem to affect them. Ahead after just three minutes from Brad Barres, they were 2 3 nil up by half-time. In fact, goals from David Morgan and Jack Sampson. Um, Bly's got a goal back in the second half from Reese Evans, but then uh, Ryan Astle's gave their three-goal cushion back. And it sounded like a very comfortable win for Liam Watson's team. And um, after progressing in the FA Trophy in midweek as well, they've had a good week. Brackley moving to fourth position. Chester had occupied third position for most of the season. However, Southport and Brackley have now leapfrogged them. Brackley, they beat Curzon Ashen by three goals to nil. Chester only drew nil-nil with your team, Telford. So an interesting day in the National League North on Saturday. Almost a defining day, maybe. 
Yeah, it was. A, a lot of the movement in, um, uh, well, the, the teams in the top half of the table were the ones that got um, the positive results. I think when we, we come to a little bit later on, I think there was only Kettering in the bottom half with the only team in the bottom half to win. So um, there's a big group of teams in mid-table who would perhaps be hoping to make a move on the top half, but none of them really showed any signs of doing that yesterday. Um, yeah, you said about Brackley there, a very comfortable 3-0 win over Curse and Ashton um, almost as you'd expect after, say, goals from Lowe, Ordell and Lee and Love. And then, yeah, I was at the, the goalless draw between uh, Chester and AFC Telford. Uh, a lot of frustration there for Chester, I sense. Obviously, Telford coming off the back of a 5-0 thumping in midweek in the FA Trophy by Leamington. Um, and so Chester might have fancied their chances of, of breaking their... Um, Poor run of form, I would say. I spoke to Simon Grand last week after their game at Hensford in the FA Trophy, and he said that um, you know they, they weren't really taking their chances at the moment. Uh, and more evidence of that again yesterday. Uh, Telford went there very definitely to try and you know just get a point off the back of a, a really poor result, but but they did so. Um, and yeah, for a nil-nil draw, quite entertaining. Um, uh, there was also we uh, I managed to catch up after the game with we had was an interested observer there in uh, Lee Fowler who was there. He's uh, he's local to Chester. He was obviously taking in the game. He's keen to get back into the game as well. So he's out there watching matches. And I had a quick chat with him afterwards and asked him what he thought. It's full time at the 1885 Stadium. Um, not an awful lot of uh, Christmas cheer here for Chester. They've drawn nil-nil with AFC Telford United this afternoon. And I have a very interested onlooker here with me um, in Lee Fowler. Lee, what did you make of that one? Um, I think Gav set his stall out early doors. I think the midweek loss, heavy loss. I think he came up to, to get a clean sheet and sort of a point was on his mind and exactly what he got. As a, a Chester fan, as a, as a follower, I mean, would you be disappointed they, they'd not been able to break Telford down today? Yeah, well, I'm not a Chester fan for a start. <laughs> no, but yeah, as, as, a, as a neutral, yeah, Chester were a little bit naive in terms of how they broke down. But Gav, you could see they've been drilled, well drilled all week into how he wanted to play and then hit him on the counter attack. And I think first half, Stenson has the perfect, as they, we call it, the game plan. And if he got scores that chance in the first half, I think they win the game 1 0. But clean sheet. Um, point back on the board and regroup again ready for next week against Alfredton. Sure. I mean, is that a concern for Chester? Do you think that they've, you know, have you, you've seen them more often this season, I take it? Yeah, I've seen them quite often and yeah, that's the first, probably the first time they've struggled to really break teams down. I think they, they missed Matty Hughes, who's a little live wire up front. So I, think, I, don't, I don't know why he didn't come on. Um, but as I said, they had numerous chances. I think they should have had a penalty. Uh, the keepers made some fantastic saves. I probably would have saved my match for me for you. Um, Stenson worked hard up there, although he was isolated. But um, they couldn't break you down. They could not break Telford down. And as, as a coach and a manager, Gav will be absolutely... Listen, it wasn't the prettiest of games to watch, but Gavin will be pleased, very pleased tonight as a coach. And tactical-wise, they, they were spot on the players. Sure. Now, it's your first game you've seen in about a month, I take it. You've been very busy with work, but you're uh, yeah, watching a few games over Christmas? Yeah. Yeah, well, like I said, I have to. I have to keep my nose in it. I want to get back involved myself. As I said, I've been working. I've got mortgage and bills to pay and look after the kids. So I've been working. It's the first game I've been, but I'm trying to get as many games as I possibly can and keep myself current and enjoy watching football and talking about it. So. Football's in your blood then, isn't it? You know, Once it's there, it's there. Yeah, it's the only thing I know I can do and sort of speak about properly without, you know, if you ask me to change the light bulb, I probably wouldn't be able to do it or change a tyre on a card, struggle, but... Ah, football's brilliant, isn't it? Better than staying in the house with the missus and kids on a Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's great, Lee. Thanks very much for your time. Cheers. Cheers, thank you. That was Lee Fowler, and after the Chester nil, Telford nil, and a, a pretty 
fair assessment there, you feel. And you're looking at Farsley. They're having a very solid season, as are Spennymore after a slow start to the season with the pitch issues as we've spoken about in earlier podcasts. They won 3-0 against Bradford Park Avenue, a bottom of the table. Not been a great week for Bradford, crashing out of the trophy to Hales Owen. And Farsley, they beat Leamington by two goals to one, and they're hot on the coattails of Chester and Brackley. Yeah, they are. Spennymore were one of the teams at the beginning of the season who um, they didn't start fantastically. And uh, I think they they were a couple of games in hand on other people because of um, the work that had gone on on their pitch. Um, Out of all the teams that we were expecting to do well, who started poorly, and I would count Telford, I would count Altrincham, I'd count Spennymore amongst them. Then then Spennymore are the one who have actually shown their credentials over the, the the autumn period and yeah they've they've rolled back into the playoff places uh rob ramshaw put them ahead yesterday two goals off the substitute spence for mark anderson as well um to make it three nil the only blot on the landscape yesterday was a, a second bookable offense really late in the game for carl magnay which meant he was sent off so he's going to serve a suspension but yes yeah, spending more looking very good and and bradford park avenue are, are unfortunately rooted to the foot of the table i know Mark Bowers made various moves since coming in there as manager, bringing back some of his um, the old firm, as it were, in in the likes of Nicky Clee and Ollie Johnson have returned to the club, but it, it's not really clicked for them at the moment. And yeah, they're they're going to be spending Christmas at the foot of the table. Yeah, it's a bit a bit like Wrexham, really. They've not had the new manager bounce. They did for a couple of games, Bradford, but it's not really kicked into gear fully, has it? No, it hasn't. Um, and and it's, uh, it looked as if it was going to. I think they won their first game with Mark Bauer in charge. Uh, and like you say, it looked like he'd, he'd put the band back together and they were going to perform some of their greatest hits and uh, to an appreciative crowd. But it, yeah, it's, it's not really worked out that way for them so far. Um, the difficult you know, second album, eh, Dickie? The difficult second album, yeah. yes, indeed. Uh, Mark Bauer's gone back there for a second time, but you know, has he has he got the material for uh, for for doing it a second time round? Um, it's a difficult one. And then, yeah, we mentioned Farsley Celtic there as well. They've had a, a a really good start to their first season back at this level. Uh, didn't look like it was going to be that way to start with yesterday. Josh March with his fourth goal in a week for Leamington after a hat-trick at Telford in midweek. A hat-trick in five minutes, dare I say, as well. Um, but Lem- um, Leamington weren't ahead for long. Will Hayhurst level from the penalty spot. And then Luke Parkin, a 63rd-minute goal, uh, a belter by all accounts. And yeah, that sealed the points for Celtic. Just below Farsley and Spennymore are Boston United. And, and, and we've got to say massive congratulations to them, Dickie. I mean, they're putting a fantastic effort against Rochdale and, and a bit unlucky in the end. Yes, they were. And, um, you know... The, Craig Elliott's after it, he took over. I think it's roughly two years ago now, um, and and did well in the in the second part of the season for Boston in the season he took over. I think they flattered to deceive a little bit last year, but yeah, they seem to be clicking this year. And obviously, there's that positivity around um, a move to a new ground, which is uh, slated for I think the beginning of next season as well. So um, and. Yeah, a great cup tie on BT Sport on um, Monday evening. Narrow two on defeat to Rochdale. York Street absolutely rocking, giving sort of like people some great memories from that evening to take away from when they when they leave the ground at the end of the season. 
they'd be disappointed not to get the chance to kick on yesterday. The game with Gates had called off because of a waterlogged pitch. And they've got two cracking games to look forward to over the Boxing Day and New Year holiday as well, because they've got uh, leaders Kings Lynn are their double header. Um, Boston have got two, a couple of games in hand on those teams immediately above them, so they're certainly eyeing those playoff places. I was going to say they've got and they've got the squad to do it as well, haven't they? I mean, they could certainly be in a play playoff shake up at the end of the season. In fact, I'm certain that they will be. Yeah, they, they, I think it's the forward line is is where they've improved this season. I think in. Um, Jordan Thewlis and Dominic Knowles, they've got, uh, who both came in from Harrogate Town, they've, they've brought in players who, you know, have played at a higher level. Um, and and Thewlis in particular is really catching the eye. Um, whether that will interest uh, any of the clubs and whether he would want to, you know, move away from Boston, I don't know. I don't know what terms of the deal he's on. I wouldn't, you know, I'm not aware of uh, any. I don't imagine there would be any unhappiness in the Boston camp at the moment, so I can't really imagine he'll be moving anywhere. But, um, yeah, Boston are, are certainly looking to kick on over the second half of the season. And just before we wrap up the North, obviously, Kettering, you were saying about pushing on there, really. Uh, they've really picked up since Paul Cox has gone in. A good win against Alfreton, who are in, are in horrible form. We were talking about... Sort of talking the National League. Well, Alfreton are probably the the talky at the minute, aren't they? The, the farm's terrible. Yeah, Alfreton have dropped. They, I mean, they they started the season really well, but have but have dropped out of um, the playoff places certainly, and they've sort of like dropped now towards mid table. So um, Billy, he's got a bit of a challenge on there to turn um, their form around. Um, yeah, a two 0 defeat yesterday at home. I think they've lost their last five games at the Impact Arena, which um, you know. I think we touched on it when we were talking about the um, the National League just a few minutes ago in, in Wrexham. Home form is, that's where the majority of your fans see you perform. And if your home form is poor, that can very quickly translate into sort of like disgruntlement with the management. Because, you know, if you perform well away from home, the thing is that there's not many of your fans are there to see it. Um, Alfreton have got that problem at the moment. They've they've lost five home games on the bounce. It was a fourth straight loss in all competitions. Um, two goals for Trey Mitford from Kettering. And yeah, Paul Cox, if you're talking about managerial bounce, they've certainly achieved that with uh, Paul Cox going into Kettering Town there. Um, there was a a fairly down nil nil draw between Hereford and Guysley in mid table yeah. yesterday. That didn't do much for either side um, going into the Christmas period. And a draw between Altrincham and Kidderminster as well. Two teams who were in the bottom half. Maybe people were expecting him to do better. I know Altrincham have got games in hand. Um, yeah, Milan Butterfield put Kidderminster ahead. Jake Malt was an equaliser for Altrincham. But um, again, a draw doesn't really do an awful lot for either of those two teams. I was going to say, you, you look at those two games that you talked about the last two and I immediately I, just, I thought I was just going to skip over them because you kind of look at them and just go meh don't you in a way yeah and it's you know unfortunately you know we're doing to be disrespectful to any of those teams involved or their fans but you know I spoke about that that split yesterday between the top half and the bottom half where there was only Kettering in the bottom half um, who achieved a win um, and I suppose those teams in the bottom half are maybe showing exactly why they're there at the moment because they're, they're just not able to take their opportunities to um, improve their form when they present themselves. We're going to look shortly at the National League South. When your kids are ill, you just want to help them feel better. But you don't always need antibiotics. 
Get advice from your local pharmacy or search NHS Choices. Hi, I'm Harry Wheeler and you're listening to the NL Full-Time Podcast. So in the National League South, Wheelstone didn't get the chance to extend their lead at the top of the table. Their game against Welling was called off due to a waterlogged pitch along with Hampton and Richmond, Borough and Slough, and Billericay and Oxford City. Those games all fell by the wayside yesterday due to the weather. So Slough, they didn't get the chance to catch up Wheelstone either. As I said, with that game being called off, Scotty Davis had a had a Saturday off. I'm sure he's pretty pleased about that. Having at Waterloo, although they're in third, they had a pretty entertaining day at Braintree Town and... They were looking set to get the three points as well, weren't they, Tom? Yes, they were, until Reese Morrill-Williamson decided to take matters into his own, own hands uh, with 87th and 90th minute goals uh, to draw Braintree town level. It was an important win, it, it, an important point for Braintree. Um, over the last 10 matches, they are dead last in the form table um, and they needed to get something uh, after three Three losses in a row, two pretty heavy ones, uh, 4-0 against Hampton and Richmond and 6-2 against Welling. So we played probably the two two strongest sides in the league at the moment in a row, Slough and Haven. Um, they'll be pleased to have come away with a point from those two matches, I think. If to take points off Haven, you need to score goals um, because you can pretty much guarantee that Haven are going to gonna beat the defence at least once or twice. Um, Jonah Ryunga got his 12th of the season. I think Alfie, Alfie Rutherford got his fourth. Um, they're a very dangerous side. So a good result for uh, Braintree. Uh, and it, it, it keeps them comfortably mid-table, which is probably where they'd want to be this season, I think. Yeah, it's really, really tasty behind Wheelstone. Slough are on 37. And then Haven and Waterlooville are on 36 points, a point behind. But they've got a game in hand, which is against Slough. But the two teams behind Haven and Waterlooville, Bath City and Darkin, both had great wins. We'll come on to Darkin in a minute, but Bath, it was a late, late show at Eastbourne, wasn't it? And that moves them level on points with Haven and Waterlooville. Really important win for Bath. Um, and once again, it was Tom Smith front and centre. Uh, he's He's been a bit of a revelation since they brought him in on a permanent deal from Cheltenham in the summer. Uh, he was on loan there last season. Um, but uh, a really good performance from him. Uh, that's his eighth goal of the season as well. Uh, the other other goal going to Alex Hartridge, who came in from Truro over the summer. Um, and Bath are in good form. As you say, they're up to fourth. Uh, they're second in the form table. I think two losses in the last ten. But at the other end of the table, Eastbourne are probably looking a little bit worried at the moment. Um, this isn't where they wanted to be at the start of the season. They're going to be looking over their shoulders. St Albans picked up a win yesterday. I'm sure we'll talk about that shortly. Um, and St Albans uh, in the last relegation spot and now only three points behind Eastbourne Borough. Um, they're down to 19th. They've got Tunbridge behind them who are who are picking up uh, in good form. You know, their form places them in the mid-table. Uh, they've got Hungerford behind them who, under Ian Herring, you, you never know what they're capable of. They can always uh, spring a surprise result. And they've got St Albans behind them who picked up a really credible three points yesterday. So Eastbourne Borough need to, uh, need to change their luck and quickly, really. Yeah, since Lee Bradbury's left, it's obviously they've had financial issues and that could well cost them because with Tunbridge Angels, they're, they're always capable of picking up a result on the day. Hungerford pick up a, a surprise result every now and again, although yesterday, on Saturday, they didn't. We'll get onto that shortly. And St Albans, as you said, probably with the result of the day because 
they won at sixth place at Weymouth. They did, yeah. Um, Weymouth had been in, in stunning form before this last week, as you know. Uh, I think they're at least eight games without a defeat. Um, but they've just slipped off the boil in the last uh, sort of seven, ten days. Um, a 1-0 defeat to promote, fellow promoter side Dorking last week. A 1-0 defeat to St Albans yesterday. Uh, Zane Banton's second goal of the season uh, just before half-time giving uh, St Albans the result there. However, uh, you know, let's be honest, it's still a remarkable first half of the season for Weymouth. Um, they're still in the playoffs, six in the league, um, and they're, they're doing very, very well uh, for their return to the National League South. Scoring for Darkin is was Jack Barham, and we mentioned about talented Barnett players. Well, he's on loan from Barnett, and he's another one with a bright future. Yeah, he is. Um, and, and I wanted to talk about Jack Barham and his strike partners as well, really. Um, talking of have put a lot of trust in the players that brought them up from step three. Um, they signed fewer players than anyone else in the National League South over the summer. The only players they brought in were Jake Gallagher and Ed Harris. Since then, they've also brought in uh, uh, two more players, but both from step three. Dan Gallagher came from Leatherhead and Jimmy Muick from Bognor Regis. And of course, as you mentioned, they've got Jack Barham on loan. Um, when, went a goal down to Maidstone yesterday, oh, sorry, went a goal up against Maidstone yesterday. Then fell 2-1 behind, and uh, it'd be easy for lesser teams to crumble at that point. But this is a side who've got a hell of a lot of confidence in their ability. Um, when all you've done for the last seasons is win football matches, you kind of forget how to lose football matches after a point. Um, so they came back and won 3-2. And I think, you know, we all know what Jason Pryor is capable of this level. But let's not forget last season, he was playing step three football, where he scored 21 goals. And he's got eight already this season at National League South. They signed Jimmy Muick from Bognor Regis Town. He scored 18 at Step 3 for Bognor Regis last season. Um, he's got five across the two clubs so far this campaign. So, I like what Mark White's done. He's put his trust in the players that he knows from the league he's worked in. He's not come in and done what you know maybe some other wealthy owner-managers have done and just signed have-beens from, from higher leagues. He's got hungry players who want to prove themselves at a next step up, and it is working. I don't know who you could possibly mean, Tom. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> moving on. Uh, in the last playoff place, as we were talking about Darkin, they beat Maidstone, who were in eighth position. And Maidstone are flattering to deceive a little bit this year, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Um, I, I certainly personally expected more of them. Um, I think not only the size of club should they be doing better um you know that they undoubtedly should you go to their stadium and it is not a step two stadium um they are getting the second consistently the second highest attendances in the division behind only Dulwich hamlet they sh they should be being competitive at the top of the league and their squad is a good squad as well um they've kept a lot of the players that they had last season the people they brought in, you know, the likes of Dan Wishart, they're solid National League performers. They should be doing a lot better than they are. And, um, you know, on top of that, the management team they've got of John Still and Hacken Hayratin, that is a management team and a squad that should not be outside the playoff positions in National League South. No, they should be up there challenging with Wheelstone and haven't, certainly. The the final playoff place is taken by Hemel Hempstead Town. They got a last-minute equaliser through Nico Muris on loan from Hartlepool United. And that was against Tombridge Angels, so it had an impact at both 
the playoff positions and the bottom of the table that result. It did, it did. And, um, you know, speaking of sides who are flattering to deceive, um, I think Hemel would have expected more from this season so far. Um, you know, as we talked about earlier, we are over halfway through. And Hemel Hempstead invested heavily in Sammy Moore and Jack Mason as a managerial combo. Uh, they brought them over from Concord. They let them bring in absolutely whoever they wanted. And I think that the fans and the board should feel a little bit short-changed at seventh place with a goal difference of one after halfway through the season. Saying that though, Tom, they were in second at one point and they have got a couple of games in hand on the teams above them. Sure, sure. Um, you know, they're, they're form though. Games in hand are only good if you plan to win them um, and at the moment they've lost three and drawn two of their last five games. Um, so with... A squad that they're clearly not happy with. They're bringing in players from National League on month loans to try and cover deficits in the squad, such as up front. Um, Liam Nash had a fantastic start to the season. Um, I don't know what's happened to him since. I think he got eight in about a month and a half and hasn't scored since September. Um, Sam Ashford, I think, has got six. He's their next highest scorer. They're not scoring goals. They scored 25. They've conceded 24. Um, And I don't have... You know, I don't look at those two games in hand as six points in the bag. Interesting. Hemel fans, again, get in touch with us. Let us know at NL Full Time on Twitter or nlfulltime at gmail.com. Now, continuing at the bottom, Hungerford Town, they lost 4-1 at home to Dulwich Hamlet, but the result was a bit irrelevant because, as you may have seen, on Twitter, Dulwich lost superfan Mishi Morath this week. He sadly passed away, but the team responded in the, the right way. They won 4-1. We send all our condolences out to everyone at Dulwich Hamlet and Mishi's family. But Tom, they, they say really, really sad news this week. But Dulwich, the team went out and did it for him. They did indeed. Um, it is really sad news. Um Mishi Morat is a, you know, I've, I've never met him personally, but we've we've had our interactions on social media, and he is um, a South London non-league football institution. Um, his voice has resonated nationally through the non-league game, um, and, and he used the term super fan, and he absolutely is that, but he's more than that as well. He was he was more than that for Dulwich Hamlet as well. Um, he is a crucial and integral part in the growth of that club and them being where they are. Um, he was a vocal campaigner for the resolution of uh, the ground dispute at Champion Hill with the council. He has been a passionate advocate of community engagement in the club, which has seen Dulwich Hamlet grow to, you know, as we've said numerous times on this podcast, having the third highest attendances in in Step 2, um, averaging over 2,000 fans uh, at Dulwich Hamlet this season is remarkable. And, and Mishy was a big part of that and uh, he, he won't be forgotten at the club. Just to add about Mishy, I was uh, fortunate to meet him once. Uh, I, I sort of turned up at uh, Champion Hill, not really knowing my way around or where to aim for. And I, tried, I thought, oh, right, I need to try and get word from someone who kind of knows and encapsulates everything about uh, Dulwich Hamlet and uh, I spoke to a couple of people and they both pointed me in the direction of Mishy who I found and I found him really really engaging um, and there's a lovely column in the non-league paper I presume written uh, by the editor Matt Badcock 
which highlights some of those roles he played, Tim, that you've said. But I just wanted to add the quote at the end. and I think this will uh, resonate with, uh, with, with people listening to our podcast around the country. Every club has got their Mishy, that person who gives more than just turning up on a Saturday at five to three. They are the people who make non-league great. R.I.P. Mishy. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that. Yeah, it's uh, like you say, a fantastic quote. That, and uh, there's not a lot else we can add to that, I suppose. In that way, is it? It kind of sums it up beautifully. There isn't. So you know, let's talk about what Missy loved, and that's Dulwich Hamlet uh, getting a resounding victory. Um, you know, as, as you rightly say, the football isn't important in the grand scheme of things, but it's important to the people that love it. Um, and, and of course, Missy was one, so he would want, uh, you know, he'd want Dulwich's victory praised and it should be. Um, let's start with a stat. That is Dulwich's first victory in the league since the 24th of August. That is a astonishingly poor run of form for a club that I personally thought were a dark horse for a promotion run this season. Um, I think even with yesterday's result, that still leaves them 18th in the table. Uh, and they, with the squad they've got, they should absolutely be higher than that. But what a result. Um, Hungerford, they are one of the smallest teams in the division. They are one of the weakest squads in the division. But they've got a cracking manager and they are not easy to dismantle at home. And uh, Dulwich Hamlet went to Hungerford and absolutely smashed them. Um, so massive credit to Dulwich Hamlet on a difficult weekend for the team. And the community, they uh, pulled out an incredibly good performance. Yeah, and one other result before we move on to other stuff, I want to pick out Tommy's Chippenham. We we spoke last week about the bit of a kind of the record just kind of a bit straight, really. They've had the same goal difference, the same amount of draws, same amount of wins, same amount of losses. Well, they got a really good result, didn't they, against Chelmsford City on Saturday? That man, David Pratt, we had to feature Pratt on the pod at some stage, and, and we've done it. He opened the scoring in a 2 1 win for Chippenham. Yeah, good result for Chippenham. Um, as you know, I watched them last week in the week against Maidstone on um, a biblically appalling night of weather um, and uh, they're, they're a resilient side very much in the image of their manager Mark Collier uh, they're gritty but they are a bit turgid to watch at times um, and that is borne out in the goals for column 19 only Eastbourne Borough have scored fewer than them this season um, David Pratt scored uh, the opener for Chippenham yesterday and that takes him to two for the season which makes him their joint top scorer in the league um, it's a good result I wouldn't say it's a surprising result, though, because Chelmsford are really underperforming this season. Um, they're 12th in the league at the moment. They should be a lot higher with the uh, ambitions that that club has. Um, but maybe it will be a blessing in disguise. Uh, I don't know. We can ask Darren next time he's with us uh, because Chelmsford almost certainly aren't going to lose in the playoffs this year. <laughs> yeah, that, wa- that wasn't me, by the way, Darren, so... Amy, Amy, uh, Amy Ryer at Tom on that. So we're going to have a little special now about goalkeepers. And Mick Payne, friend of the podcast, regular on here. He's uh, he's also been writing in an only paper this weekend, and he's revealed his top stoppers. So in in Dan and Deck style, in no particular order, he's picked Joel Dixon of Barrow, Ryan Huddert of Bromley, Craig Ross of Woking. Nathan Ashmore of Boreham Wood, Scott Loach of Barnet, 
Ben Killip at Hartlepool, unsurprisingly, is England's uh, England season number one. Elliot Justin at Dagenham Redbridge and Mitch Walker of Aldershot Town. Guys, your thoughts on that? Well, in the National League, Luke, um, I think that's a very good group of goalkeepers. Obviously, Mick knows what he's talking about. I think for me, the standout, the number one that I've seen, I've seen him in training, that I've seen him in a match situation twice in the last six months. And I think for me, the pick is young Ben Cliff. I think he'll go on and play at a higher level. He's an outstanding shot stopper. He's quick, he's agile, he reads the game really, really well. Um, and he's got a mature head on young shoulders. The second one was really difficult for me um, between Scott Loach, who's impressed me at two different clubs, and uh, all the shots own Mitch Walker. I try and look at it objectively. It's just very, very hard to leave Mitch out after the game he had yesterday, uh, where he played a huge, huge part in uh, ensuring that Stockport left with no points. What I like about Mitch, he's not the biggest goalkeeper. He's incredibly calm. He reads the game well. He makes a very early decision whether he can catch the ball cleanly or whether he'll punch. He punches more often than not. I think he recognises. He's not one of those six-foot-six keepers that can just ping off the ground and grab everything. Uh, His judgment, his decision-making is normally pretty good. So I'm just going to give it him my two. We said we picked two each. Uh, and I'll go with Clip and Walker. So if we're looking at the National League North goalkeepers then, Dickie, if you had to pick some, uh, who would you pick? I had to have a little bit of a think about this because um, it's a question of, you know, I often think that people, you, you will see an opposition goalkeeper maybe once, maybe twice a season and they have a standout for you, uh, against you and you sort of take away that impression of them. But do they do it consistently over a longer period of time? So kind of on that basis, um, I've got the Danny Lewis of Brackley Town, just because Brackley are always... Um, good uh hard to break down and 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 danny lewis is really safe pair of hands behind them i think that got a very established back four there and that always makes brackley difficult to beat um and matt gould at spennymore town i saw matt when he played for stourbridge and he stepped up a level into national league north with spennymore i think he's this is something like his second or third season with him and always impressed with him um not the biggest of goalkeepers but very brave um and a really good shot stopper and and again, from you can see the evidence of where Spennymore are that you know obviously he's he's good enough to be a goalkeeper in a, a, a team that's that's pushing for the playoff places. And Tom in the south. Yes, well, as Dickie says, um, it, it's very tempting to make your recommendations based on the ninety minutes that you might see across the season. Um, and while I was coming up with my names for this, I quite sadly realised that despite not being a fan of any clubs in National League South, I've watched all of their starting goalkeepers with the exception of Preston Edward uh, at uh, Dulwich Hamlet. So I think I need to get out more and do different things at times. But um, (laughs) for me, the best goalkeeper in the league, um, and it probably would have been the same answer any of the last five seasons, is Ryan Clark at Bath City. Um, I think he's about 73 years old now, but he just seems to get better every season. Um, he was an integral part of the best defence in the league last season. He's an integral part of the second best defence in the league this season. Um, so, and his reflexes, his command of the area is, uh, you know, really a step above most of what's out there. So he he's definitely there. Um, if I was going on purely vocal ability, then Alan Julian would probably be my second choice. Um, but I'm not. So. My second choice will probably be as a pure shot, uh, pure shot stopper. 
I really rate Dan Lincoln at ha- uh, uh, Hampton and Richmond Borough. Um, much like uh, Dickie's second pick, Dan stepped up from Step 3 football over the summer when he joined Hampton and Richmond Borough from Bognor Regis. Um, and he is a, a really good quality shop stopper. Um, and also he's a bit of a jack of all trades as well as he spent the summer turning out for, I think, Sussex in the County Cricket Cup. Wow, there we go. Bit of a fact for you there. So as it's Christmas and we're halfway through the season, we, as you heard on our very first podcast of the season, we did our pre-season predictions and, and Rob's here to tell us uh, who is top of the tree and who's a bit of a Christmas turkey. <laughs> well, it's really, really close actually, guys. Um, there's only about 15 points to separate us from top to bottom. But uh, if we're going to go on a technicality, then uh, one point ahead with 105 is Dickey. Uh, Tom is on 104, and uh, then uh, Luke, you're third with 95, and at the moment, <clears throat> myself and Chris have got 89. We're bringing up the rear, but as you can see, it's very, very close, and none of these points are in the bag. It's only how it looks at the moment. Just to get a little bit of a flavour of this, and when we come to the uh, scorers, uh, many thanks to Tom, who, whose spreadsheet on goal scorers goes down far, far lower than mine for helping me out with that. Um Champions, well, quite simply, four of us predicted AFC files. We've all got egg on our face because they're down the wrong end of the table, obviously picking up a little bit of late. Um, Dickie said that Solihull Moors would win, and they still have a chance, of course. Doing the least, probably doing the worst in the predictions for the top uh, six or seven is Chris Pratt. He's only really got Yeovil. Um, Dickie's got Solihull, Harrogate, Yeovil. Um, Luke, you've got Harrogate, Solihull and Bromley. Uh, I've got three as well, Solihull, Harrogate and Bromley. And uh, Tom's got a couple in Yeovil and Harrogate. At the other end of the table, um, that's where Chris is doing all right. He picked out both Chorley and Absolute to be in the bottom four. Uh, Dickie picked out those same two teams as well. Luke and myself picked out Chorley, as did Tom. In terms of the top scorer in the National League, well... We all plumped between us for either Danny Rowe and Paul McCallum. And uh, obviously McCallum's had a little bit of a period out in injured. He is coming back now. He's on eight goals for the season. Danny Rowe is on just six, um, which uh, probably ties in nicely with AFC Files' poor start to the season. In the National League North, um, well, four of us went for York City. Um, so they're obviously looking good for a place in the playoffs at the very least. The other one, Chris, went for Chester. And uh, then there's a smattering of uh, good predictions. We've done pretty well in this one. Uh, and uh, overall, probably Dickie tops it. Not surprisingly, he's our North correspondent. He said Chester, Spennymore, Brackley and York would all be in the top uh, six or seven. And they are. At the other end of the table, um, congratulations to Dickie. He predicted the demise of Bradford Park Avenue, who occupied one of the uh, relegation positions. And congratulations to Tom, who uh, who picked Blythe Spartans to struggle this season. I think they were both brave predictions and they've got them right. As for top scorer in the National League North, well, uh, at the moment, Dickie's doing OK with Jordan Hole, who's on nine. What is the situation? No, the rest of us all went for Dan Maguire. What is the situation, Tom? with the other top scorers at the uh, National League North. Who's up there? I think there, there are a few surprises at the top of the scorers' charts. Um, 
Aaron Martin had a phenomenal start to the season. I think he scored 13 in eight to start the North, uh, the National League North campaign. Um, and he's, he's sort of dropped off a little bit. I know he had a, a fair period out suspended, I think, Dickie. Um, but he's still absolutely up there uh, with 16 goals in second place. However, the top scorer for the league so far, um, and, and someone that you know none of us predicted at all, is uh, Mr Adam Marriott of Kings Lynn. Now, he had a very good season last season. He finished top of the goal scorers at Step 3 with 27 in Kings Lynn's promotion season. But I don't think anybody, I don't think even his own mum, would have predicted him being on 21 by Christmas in the National League North. So, well done to Mr Marriott. Yeah, brilliant stuff. Thanks, Tom, for, for getting across those. That's a really appropriate point to mention that none of the five of us, even Chris, who has an affinity for Kingston, none of the five of us predicted Kings Lynn would be in the top seven, and there they sit pretty at the top. And there's a recurring theme there as we drop to the National League South. We don't drop, we only drop geographically, but we drop to the National League South. Nobody predicted the current leaders, Wildston, to be in the top seven either. So fair to say that uh, surprising for the halfway stage leaders in those two divisions. Um, in terms of goal score, or sorry, in terms of the other end of the division, well, we were a bit split, weren't we? I think it was... Um, uh, uh, I'll start that again. We were a bit split, weren't we? A couple of uh, the podcast team did pick uh, at the other end of the National League South table. Well, a couple of our podcasting did pick Hungerford to be in the bottom two as they are. Um, the most popular pick was Tunbridge Angels, and of course they're just outside the relegation positions at the moment. If they can stay up this season, that'll be an outstanding achievement for them. But uh, some quite brilliant uh, predicting from uh, Chris Pratt, who's one of our most northern correspondents. He actually said the bottom two would be St Albans and Hungerford. And they are at the moment, uh, despite St Albans' great win yesterday. Looking at the top scorers in the south, we're doing a little bit better. We're all kind of on the board. Um, from our predictions, um, Chris and uh, Tom have gone for Danny Kedwell. He's on seven for the season. Uh, Luke, you went for Jason Parr, and you're just ahead there at the moment uh, for predicting him. He's on eight. Kitty, um, well... Extenuating factors there. He picked Tyler Harvey, he was on three. But Tom will tell you in a minute, he's gone on to score quite a few goals for the club he's moved to. I went for Moses Emmanuel, who's played for two different National League South clubs, and he's on five for the season. How's the uh, top scorers looking in the National League South, Tom? And uh, what has Tyler Harvey gone on to do? So, well, Tyler Harvey um, departed Bath uh, in mid October. And since then, he's gone on to score 12 goals in 11 games for Truro City, um, back with his sort of natural home down in Cornwall um, and playing step three football for a side who are potentially a little bit too good for step three football. Um, he's sort of formed the missing piece for Truro City. They lacked a goal scorer. He's gone in. He's top scorer in the league already, having only played a month and uh, two months. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I think you can claim some credit for that one, Dickie. Will Will Dicky try and do a Chris and and say that he should have the points anyway? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'm not basically, sure. will out will outnumber him. Oh, is he there? Is that too? Yeah, he's back. Yeah. Yeah, no, clear. No, no, I'm not. I'm not that. Um, I'm not that competitive over it now. It's fine. You don't need to be a top already. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. I can be gracious, then, can't I? So, in terms of top scorers in the south. Um, 
I was pretty confident it would be someone from Haven and Waterlooville. I picked the wrong one. Uh, Jonah Younger is currently leading the way with 12. What's noticeable about the National League South compared to both, uh, or compared to the National League North, is it's a lot. Well, it's a lot lower scoring in terms of individual performances, but it's also a lot closer at the top. We've got a Younger on 12, closely followed by Jake Robinson, Sean Jeffers, Joey Akafanio, and Elliot Romain with 10. Um, then there's Ross Lafayette with nine, and then uh, you know we've got sort of 20 people um, between eight and six goals. One of which, of course, is a friend of the podcast, Serena's big brother, Dan Loworsi Dodomo. So uh, hopefully he can pick his way up the season, and we'll have a you know almost almost related to the podcast uh, yeah. top goal scorer. Just staying in the National League South, I think we looked at the top end. Um, there's a smattering of, uh, of, of, of correct predictions for teams that are in the top seven. It's probably the only area that I'm in the lead at the minute. I've, I've got four of the top seven. I picked uh, Haven, Hemel, Bath and Slough. I did also pick Maidstone. And uh, um, I know you talked about how they should be doing better, but they're not out of it yet. They're in eighth place, just one point outside the playoffs. And I expect them to come into that picture as the season draws on. Just looking at step three, very, very quickly, I'll just highlight the uh, correct position, uh, the correct prediction so far. Four out of the five of us said South Shields will be top of the Northern Premier League, and indeed they are. In the Southern Premier South, well done, Luke. You picked out, I think randomly, I think it was, <laughs> you picked out Tiverton, and uh, they're joint top at the moment. So well done for you on that one. How, ver- uh, how very dare you, Rob, suggesting I don't research these things? <laughs> Uh, think nobody, uh, yeah, gave you for picking them as well. The thing of the stick I gave you for picking them as well. I know exactly. You see, Tom, not just a pretty but face, I, eh? <laughs> I would like to point out as well, while we're talking about the Southern League South, that if you remember, Chris predicted Basingstoke Town to win that league. Yeah. Basingstoke yeah. Town, they weren't even in it. They're currently second bottom of the league below. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless you. We, we, we've deliberately kept Basingstoke in the spreadsheet just to highlight it every single time we talk about it. Which you, is should fantastic. Minus, you should get yeah, minus let's, <laughs> Absolutely. Let's not leave out the Isthmian League in step three. Where Well done, Tom. You picked out Worthing to win that, and I believe they're also joint top at the minute. So at the moment, I've given you an imaginary, uh, an ideal 10 points, but that might turn out to be just a little bit of an oasis as the season draws on. But well done, boys. We're all in it. Not a bad set of predictions at all by any means and uh, a couple of embarrassing ones in there, but uh, it's uh, it's a mugs game, isn't it? Excellent. Nice one. Well, thanks for joining us this week, guys. Dickie, thank you for coming on once again. Very welcome. And Merry Christmas to you all. Mm. Yeah, th- and, and Rob, uh, great stuff once again. Yeah, really enjoyed today, guys. Uh, Merry Christmas and uh, Happy New Year to you all. And Tom, uh, massive thanks again with your massive spreadsheet. Uh, thank you for coming on. No worries. It's a pleasure. Merry Christmas. Excellent. Well, that is it. Thank you very much for listening to us throughout the year and this season so far. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify. Give us a follow on Twitter at an time and on email. You can email us nlfulltime at gmail.com. But thank you from me, Luke Edwards. Have a very Merry Christmas and we'll be back next week just before New Year. So we'll see you all very soon.